This is lesson 48 in the study of Romans. We're narrowing it down to the last few lessons here. And we're at the end of chapter 14. You know, I really could have finished chapter 14 last week. But I chose to finish this week so that we could go from chapter 14 to 15 without a break. And the reason is simple. There should be no break there. Chapter 14 has been about eating food that was possibly offered to idols and the refusal of eating food that had possibly been offered to idols. It's also about keeping optional fast days and not keeping those days. However, if we really boil it down to its essence, it would be about preferring your brother in matters of opinion. Particularly if you are supposed to be strong in faith, And your opinion is destructive to your brother. The church has taken this to be about the laws of God concerning clean and unclean food and the Sabbath. But it's really about the opinions of men on foods that God has made clean and optional days of fasting. Paul is saying that if you're strong in the faith, then do not force your opinions about food and fast days on others. Instead, prefer your brother and do not eat what may offend him. So this is kind of a hard chapter for us because we, for the most part, don't have these problems any longer. There's no one going to bring meat in here that may have been offered to an idol. We have no pagan temples down the street, no animals being offered to pagan gods. But we know that Paul is not speaking of the commands of God here concerning clean and unclean animals because those are not matters of opinion. They're firm commands of God. They're not up for debate. And that's made clear by the fact that he says to them, who thinks anything to be unclean? These are matters of opinion. Your thoughts. He who thinks. You don't have to think about a pig being unclean because God has already said a pig is unclean. You don't have to think about it. There's no opinion necessary. God said it. It's so. That's the name of that. That's it. So let's try to relate this to our own lives, this this preferring our brother. Let's say we have a friend who's a vegan. And you're, you're going to invite that person over to your house for dinner. Well, you're not going to invite that person over to your house for dinner to serve steak, potato and egg salad, and for a vegetable, broccoli with cheese sauce. You're going to take into consideration that this person is a vegan, and you're going to make a meal not using any animal products so as not to offend the person, even though it may mean you won't have steak that night. You prefer your guest over your own desires. Well, that's what Paul is saying here. He's telling the Romans, maybe you're sure that that meat that you're bringing into the community has not been offered to an idol. But the Jewish person or the full proselyte who's made a vow to live as a Jewish person may not be so sure as you are. He may not be sure about you or your meat yet. And so don't judge him for not eating your meat, but only vegetables. After all, He is, as a matter of conscience, keeping the command of God. Maybe since it was not commanded in Torah and many of the non-Jews were not fasting, let's say, for the Feast of Gedalia or one of the other many Jewish feast days, 
And each side was judging the other. Well, Paul says, don't judge one another in matters of opinion. In fact, prefer the other's opinion over yours if it doesn't violate your conscience. And so in verse 19, he says this, Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. You see, the point of the letter is to live in peace and harmony. And more than that, prefer one another and help each other grow in the Lord. Be all you can in the kingdom. Whenever I do a wedding, I always, somewhere in the uh, sermon state, the husband and the wife should help each other become all that they can be in the kingdom of heaven. So that through your relationship with one another, we will, you will reveal him, his plan, his love, and his Messiah to the world. Well, that's what Paul is saying here, only not just to husbands and wives. He's saying to all of us in Yeshua's Kehillah. As members of Yeshua's Kehillah, love and prefer one another so that you will be mutually edified. And be all that you can be in his kingdom. So that you will reveal Messiah and his love for us to the world. And not be a stumbling block to others. But help one another be all we can in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so last week, remember we looked at verse 14. And I want to read it just quickly here. He says, I know and I am convinced in the Lord Yeshua. That nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything be unclean, to him it is unclean. And so now he's relating to us that if someone considers meat unclean, they as a matter of conscience, as a matter of conscience to them it is unclean. And to eat it would be a violation of their conscience. And he's even telling us that that's sin. But now listen to what he says in verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Let's put ourselves back in Rome. And if, and if I put something on the table that you feel is unclean, if you suspect that it came from a pagan temple, then whether it did or not, for you, for your conscience sake, it is unclean. Well, now Paul is saying that if I eat what I just put on the table in your presence and you take offense, then it's not only unclean for you, but it is for me as well. In fact, he says it's evil for me. He says the food that others take offense at is evil for the man who eats those things that causes another man to stumble. Now, your translation may not say evil. It may say something like wrong. But it should be evil or wicked. It's the word, this, this is the word I put it up here. Notice it means wicked, injurious, destructive. And to give you an idea how strong a word this is, it's the same word that's used in Matthew in the story of the landowner. Chapter 21 and verse 38 says, But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, he will take those tenants and he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. The King James says, wicked men to, a, to, to an end. And wicked they would be if they had killed the landowner's son. 
That's the power of the word that's used here. So I mean wrong, when I read wrong, that doesn't really cut it for me. Paul is saying to those who feel they are strong in the faith, that you have no preference, no opinion, that's worth your brother's life in the Lord. Who would, the, who would be these people who would be strong in the faith? Well, being strong in the faith, if we look at the rest of the book of Romans, can only mean that you know Yeshua and have known him for a while. Being weak in the faith can only be that person new to the faith in Yeshua or one who may be undecided and still on the fence as to whether Yeshua is the Messiah. And so he is saying, if you're strong in the faith and what you eat causes your brother to stumble, then for the kingdom's sake, don't eat it. Amen? Now, we're speaking of opinions here, and I want to keep reminding that of everyone. The commands of God were written in stone, but these are men's opinions that he's talking about. And verse 21 says, It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. This is amazing, right? He actually sides with the ones who are weak in the faith and says, It's better for you... If you're strong in the faith, not to eat meat or drink wine at all. And not only that, but here again we get this major clue as to what's being spoken of in this chapter. It's not the commands of God because Paul adds wine here. There's no command of God not to drink wine. But there is a Jewish tradition against drinking the wine of Gentiles. And so again, we're speaking of traditions and opinions here. Now we could... Make the case that Paul was speaking of a recovering alcoholic, let's say. Don't allow them to stumble by your drinking wine. But that would be a reach. If we look at the Talmud and even the book of Acts, I think we'll come up with something much different. Acts chapter 10 and verse 28 says to this, says this. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God is me that I should call no man impure or unclean. Now, a couple of things here. He says it's against our law. Is he speaking of the Torah commands of God? Huh? Well, I can tell you after having read through the Torah each year for over 20 years, I have not found a command that says you shall not go into the home or associate with a non-Jew. And so when he says our law, he's speaking about the halakhic decisions of the rabbis, Jewish traditional law. The rabbis, for the sake of purity, did not allow a Jew to enter the home of a non-Jew. You see, the command of God forbids idol worship. And so the rabbis reason, there may be an idol in that Gentile's home or some manner of uncleanness. And so the rabbis taught that a Jew could not enter the home of a non-Jew. It wasn't a command of God. It was an opinion of the rabbi. Well, in the same way, meat offered to an idol was prohibited by the commands of God. We read it a few weeks ago. And so the rabbis again took it a step farther and said no meat of a Gentile could be eaten by a Jew because of suspect that it might be offered to an idol. might have been offered to an idol. It wasn't a command of God, but it's a fence around a command of God. And last week we spoke of wine in the same fashion. If the bottle of wine belonging to a non-Jew had been opened, a Jew couldn't drink of it. 
And the rabbis reasoned that if it was open, there's a possibility that he may have poured out the first portion as a libation to an idol. And so again, the drinking of wine of a non-Jew is forbidden, is not forbidden by God, but it is the opinion of the rabbi. And so while both of these are, opinions are based on a Torah command, they are just opinions nonetheless. But for the Jew, think about this now, for the Jew or for the proselyte who had made a vow to live as a Jew, who accepted these opinions as law, then to eat or drink these things would be what? It would be a stumbling block for him. Just as if God had not shown Peter not to call any man impure or unclean, then his violating the tradition of not entering the home of a Jew would have been as sin to him. He would have never done it. Except God showed him in that vision of a sheep being lowered that he should call no man unclean. You see, Paul has moved to speaking of matters not just of opinion, but real matters of conscience. There's something I've never been able to understand. And, and I was watching, as I was doing this sermon this week, I was watching a cook, cooking segment on the news the other day, which pointed this out to me. They were cooking shrimp at the state fair. You know that they have shrimp on a stick now. They have everything on a stick. I'm surprised Sweet Martha's cookies don't come on a stick. But they offered some shrimp to one of the newsmen. He says, I don't eat shrimp because I'm allergic to shrimp. Oh, that's fine. No questions, nothing. But if he had said, I don't eat shrimp because the God of Abraham said not to eat shrimp, I think it would have been a little different. Think about it. If a Christian invites me into their home and serves shrimp, and I say, I can't eat shrimp... Because I'm a vegan, a vegan, however it's pronounced, (laughs) nothing else would be said, right? However, if I said, I don't eat shrimp because God said eat only fish with fins and scales, then it's not okay to refuse and I'm likely to get a long lecture on how the food laws don't apply any longer. He cares nothing for me trying to obey the commands of God, right? Now, these are matters, this is a matter of conscience concerning the laws of God about food. And yet, we as people of God have no respect for someone else's conscience. Well, Paul is saying not only the laws of God, but if you do things that step on someone's personal convictions, even if it's not a matter of the law of God, but the opinion of the person, and it causes them to stumble, you're classified with the wicked. And so he says, in verse 22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Keep it to yourself. Right? No opinion is worth, having, is worth offending your brother. And if you do offend him, then you have done what is evil. Even though it would be fine for you to eat that food if you knew it hadn't been offered to an idol, if you offend your brother by your actions, then it's evil. So Paul says, Blessed is the man 
who does not condemn himself by what he approves. You know, we looked at this word blessed, remember, in the book of Matthew. It's the word that Yeshua uses in the Beatitudes. It comes from the Hebrew word eshrei. It means happy, content is the man who keeps his opinions to himself and does not fend others by what he approves. Right? So Paul is saying to those who are strong in faith and eating meat because they're sure that it has not been offered to an idol, if you eat and it offends your brother, then you've sinned. But blessed is the man who abstains because he will not be condemned but what he knows to be good. In other words, causing your brother to stumble even though you're not violating the command of God, you may be in the right sin. Causing your brother to stumble in itself is sin. However, abstaining from something so as not to cause your brother to stumble Hey, that's a good deed. That's a mitzvah. Verse 23 says, But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that does not come come from faith is sin. And so what is Paul saying here? He's saying that violating one's personal convictions is sin even though it may not violate a command of God. How can that be, you ask? Well, if I believe something is wrong in the sight of God, and then I do it anyway, then it's for me it's wrong, whether it was a command of God or not. If I do what I believe is wrong, even though in God's eyes it's not, then it's sin to me. It's sin to me because I believed it was wrong and I did it anyway. And it will always be sin to me until, I, until the day I study God's word long enough to say, Hey! I was wrong. That isn't sin. God didn't didn't condemn that. God doesn't forbid that. Then I no longer violate my own convictions, you see. It's sin because I violate my own belief system. I violated what I thought was the command of God. That means the next time I confronted with something that might be one of the true commands of God, I might more easily be apt to violate that as well because my conscience was seared. Violating one's personal convictions can lead to violating the commands of God and so Paul is saying, listen, be careful with others' convictions. Just because you may be sure of something, if your brother is not, it may damage him. And so he continues. Listen now. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak so as not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good and build him up. Paul is saying, just because you're sure of what you eat, what will it really hurt if you don't eat that meat at the community meal? Will you be damaged? No. But someone who feels strongly about that, that that meat is unclean, and that eating that meat or maybe even eating meat or dairy together may not come back and be damaged. In Rome at this time, you know, like we, we pointed out earlier, there were non-believing Jews and proselytes in the same synagogues as believing Jews and God-fearers. And if one of those non-believing Jews was on the fence, ready to accept Yeshua, 
but then was offended by your actions and decided, well, he couldn't be the Messiah because of these people don't keep the commands of God. You would have caused him to stumble. And guess what? You would have sinned. So Paul says, bear with the failings of the weak. In other words, give up eating meat that's suspect at the community meals. Build one another up. Don't tear each other down for the sake of opinion. And as a proof text, he gives this. In Romans 15, verses 3 and 4, he says, For even Messiah did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen upon me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. See what he does here? He he quotes scripture, Psalm 69 in verse 9. And what he tells us here is he tells us that that psalm is about the Messiah. That psalm is about the Messiah. Well, whenever you see a passage like this in scripture, quoted like this, it's often it's to draw you to the entire passage itself. And what I mean by that is, is they didn't have Psalm 69 and verse 9 in Paul's day. Headings and verse numbers were added later. So to draw one's attention to a particular passage, they would often quote just one verse. The best example of that in scriptures is when Yeshua quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He wasn't saying God had forsaken him. He was drawing his atten- everyone's attention to Psalm 22, which was about his death. So, let's read a little farther in Psalm 69 and see what Paul was getting at. Listen to what it says. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. O Lord Almighty, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. O God of Israel, for I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons, for zeal of your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall upon me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am... And, and I am the song of drunkards, but I pray to you, O Lord, in a time of favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. So Paul quotes this prayer. He tells us that it's Messiah's prayer. And what does he pray? What does Messiah pray? May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. And may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. Hey, that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's trying to convey to us. May those who put their hope in God and his Messiah not be put to shame, disappointed, or ruined because of your behavior or by what you eat. Don't let my eating or drinking, don't let my irreverence for a fast day Cause someone else to lose faith in you. In this prayer attributed to the Messiah, Paul wants us to see the great care that Yeshua took not to please himself and to satisfy his own self, 
but to seek after and put the salvation of others ahead of himself and his desires. Well then, think about it. If our Torah halakha, if our walk through life by the commands of God is to be in the footsteps of Messiah Yeshua, how much more should we set our own desires and our appetites aside for the salvation of others? What does he mean? that? And I want to say that doesn't mean that Messiah set aside the commands of God. For what, is he, what else is in that prayer? He says, for the zeal of your house consumes me. You know, that psalm is quoted someplace else. It's quoted in John chapter 2, verse 16. He says, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. He prays, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. Or we could say, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of my action. And yet here, what does he do? He goes into the temple and he overturns these tables of the money chambers, those selling doves. So again, that doesn't mean that he violates the commands of God or that he winked at the sin of others who violated the commands of God. No, Yeshua upheld the commands of God and yet he walked through life keeping many traditions that he knew were, shall we say, benign. They were not leading anyone astray. They did not keep people from the commands of God. So they were at least benign, if not good. Some of the traditions of the rabbis is what I'm speaking of. So to ensure that those who seek God not be put to shame because of him, he kept many of the traditions. Think about it. Yeshua walked through life keeping most of the traditions that the rabbis had set in place. It would seem from his life record in scripture that if, if the traditions didn't violate a command of God, then Yeshua treated those, condition, those traditions as good or at least as benign and kept them. Some say that he put his stamp of approval on the rabbis, but I don't think so. I think it's more like he was doing as the psalm says. He went out of his way to ensure that those who seek God not be put to shame because of him. You know, you can't keep the commands of God without some sort of further tradition. And keeping the traditions that did not violate a command of God or, or lessen a command of God, Yeshua did those things. However, when a tradition violated a command of God, Yeshua made no further provision for that. Listen to what Mark 7 says in verses 1 through 8. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Yeshua and saw his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they gave their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed. And they observed many other traditions, such as washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God, but are holding on to the traditions of men. He says, you've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And yet, read about his life. He kept many of the traditions of the rabbis. And this is one example of Yeshua setting aside a tradition because it didn't uphold the command of God. But the best example I like is from Numbers 15. And it says this in verse 38. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout your generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a thread of blue on each tassel or fringe. You know, the formula for making these fringe was developed by tradition. God does not tell us how many fringes. He doesn't tell us what color the fringes should be. He just says fringes, and then he says wrapped by a thread of blue, and this is what tradition dictates right here. The rabbi said, Eight strands tied with five knots. Yeshua had no problem with that tradition. He followed it. It was benign. There were certainly other ways to tie fringes that probably would have been just as good, but Yeshua did It's not worth arguing over. It's a benign tradition. And so he followed it. And we know he followed it because we can read Matthew chapter 9 and verse 20. It says, And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Yeshua, turning, seeing her daughter, said, Take courage, your faith has made you well. At once the woman was healed. He wore the fringe... Because it was commanded by God. And we know it must have been by tradition. As tradition dictated. Because he's never questioned over it. By any rabbi. Or at least it's not recorded that. His his wearing of the fringe was contested. But when these same fringe were wore in pride. And the tradition took away from the command of God. Because pride is sin. Listen to what he says in chapter 23. Then Yeshua said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads, put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. You see, when the traditions were benign, it was fine. But when they became a violation of the commands of God, not so much. And I don't want to get too far off track, but I, want, I wanted to show you is that Yeshua preferred the traditions of men if they didn't violate the commands of God for the sake of the greater good. Well, the Romans have forgot this. They're not living by this important principle. They have put their opinions over the salvation of others. Paul said this in Romans 11 and verse 13. He says, I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles and I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If part of the dough is offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. You see, Paul had hoped 
that his people, Israel, would see the Gentiles forsaking idol worship for the worship of the God of Abraham because of the Messiah, Yeshua, and see it as a fulfillment of prophecy and reason that Yeshua was the Messiah. However, as we pointed out before, the behavior of the Romans was such that to the Jewish person, it did not look like as if he had turned to to the God of Israel and away from the idols because they were still suspected of eating food being offered to idols. And it was causing some to reject Yeshua. And he's going to drive this point home next week in a few verses as he quotes the Psalms, the Torah, and the prophets as proof texts of what he's been saying. And we'll look at that next week.